This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. From Gimlet Media, this is The Nod. A podcast about black culture from blackness's biggest fans. I'm Brittany Luce. A couple weeks ago, I watched the most uniquely personal movie about gentrification that I've ever seen. It's called The Last Black Man in San Francisco. We built these ships, dredged these canals in the San Francisco they never knew existed. This is our home. It's the story of a 20-something Black man named Jimmy. Jimmy is a lifelong San Franciscan, and he's fed up with being pushed out of his city by a bunch of folks who don't even seem to know or care about San Francisco's history or its people. When Jimmy was a kid, his family owned a beautiful old house in a predominantly Black neighborhood. And then they lost it, and Jimmy never quite found home again. For years, Jimmy would go by the house, even after a wealthy white couple moved in. Sometimes he'd stand on the sidewalk and just look at it. Other times he made little repairs to keep it nice, as his old neighborhood changed all around him. And then one day, the white, wealthy couple leaves, and Jimmy decides it's time to take the house back. I mean, he literally moves all of his furniture inside and just starts living there. See, this house is not just any house. According to family legend, Jimmy's grandfather built that house with his bare hands for his family. For Jimmy, taking it back feels like the only thing to do. And as I watched it all unfold, I couldn't help but think of how singular it was to see a story about gentrification told from the point of view of a young Black person who's living through it right now. If you don't even see us, we're invisible to you. That's what makes me angry. We here, too. Don't come here and then not see us. How the fuck are you going to move in and not see us? That's the star of the film, 24-year-old Jimmy Fails. Yep, his name's Jimmy, too, just like the character in the movie. See, this movie was actually based on Jimmy's real life. He grew up in San Francisco and lost a family home that he still longs for. And he's still grappling with what it means to lose your city while you're living in it. And I'd actually call it more of a coming-of-age movie. The Last Black Man in San Francisco perfectly captures what it feels like to exist in that liminal space between leaving the home you were born into and creating a home for yourself out in the world. 
about your loss to San Francisco. I don't know how much longer we can keep doing this. But I'm not leaving. I'm the last one left. Recently, I talked to Jimmy about the meaning of home, what it was like to star in his first movie, and what it was like growing up in the San Francisco neighborhood of Fillmore, which was once called the Harlem of the West. It was like out of a Spike Lee movie, like, you know, people outside with their boom boxes and stuff and dice games and all type, you know what I mean? Like all type of shit. Like, mm-hmm. it was like everybody was always lively and outside. My house was like a house that everybody kind of ran in and out of sort of thing, mm-hmm. like neighborhood sort of house. It was just alive, vibrant with culture. Like who... Who were your neighbors? Black people. We knew all of our neighbors. I mean, some of them, I think we were even related to some of them distantly or something. But we, yeah, everybody knew everybody in the neighborhood. It's like, you can't walk past like the, the OGs and not say hi. They're going to be like, nigga, what the hell wrong with you? You know what I mean? Like, what's up? <laughs> you know, you said that your house when you were living there was like uh, kind of like a central point for other people in the neighborhood. People are always coming in and out. Mm-hmm. Like, what was your home life like? Like, what was your family life like? Uh, well, so it was just like a family house. So it was just like, you know, my aunt stayed there and my uncle stayed there. And my, my first cousin and her mom, I had one cousin that was hella mean. I never really wanted to go past her room and shit. <laughs> she was always mad for no damn reason. Was she older than you? Shit. Yeah, she was always she was a little <laughs> fucking bully. She hella nice now, but uh, everybody had their own little, you know, mm-hmm. any their own little space in the house. You know, me and my dad stayed in the basement. What's your fondest memory of being in the house? Um, probably just me and my dad coming back if we, you know, if we had to be out late or something, and I would fall asleep in the car, and I would like wake up. Well, I would, you know. I wouldn't be all the way asleep, but I would want mm-hmm. him to carry me inside, basically. So I would act sleep still, and then he would pick me up and then bring me inside. It's kind of like, it sounds like you had like a sense of safety about living there. Absolutely. And your family had to give up the house when you were pretty young. We lost the house when I was like five or six. You know, just complications over who getting the the will. You know, my grandparents had mm. died a long time ago, and then it's like, there's, you know, my family has a, History, you know, with addiction, substance abuse, so mm-hmm. uh, those sort of things. So after you left the house in Fillmore, from what I understand, you lived lots of different places, like foster care, yeah, housing place, projects, yeah. group homes. Mm-hmm. How did how did that affect your sense of home? My family's been split up since that. You know, we, we're not in contact as much as we all would like to be, you know, we're mm. all spread across America and stuff. So, I mean, it's pretty much, you know, home is wherever, you know, home is always temporary. So hmm. I've always kind of been nomadic in that way. Like even, even now, you know, I, you know, so I don't sleep at home that much now, even I'm always at a friend's house or at somewhere else. So in the film, Jimmy really dedicates himself to caring for this old house. You know, he's over there, like, pretty regularly, like, painting shutters or working in the backyard garden. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, this older white couple who'd been living in the house, they suddenly lose it, and the house is empty. So Jimmy decides it's time to take it back. He breaks in and, like, moves into his childhood home. Like, he just starts living there. Yeah. Is that something that you tried to do? Break into the house? Yeah, Nah, I mean it was it wasn't vacant. 
So (laughs) (laughs) that would have been not, you know what I mean? I ain't trying to get no home invasion charge, hell no. But, you know, I I thought about it. I've always, you know, when I used to come back, and and this is another thing that's fictionalized just to show how much I care about the house. It's like, you know, I mean, I wasn't coming back and touching it up while people was living there. But I did, you know, you know, if I seen some trash on it or something, I would pick up the trash. How often did you visit the house when you were younger and you missed it? Pretty often. I would always take the route. And I used to have a friend that lived like, I have to pretty much, I don't have to go past there, but he he lives like on Divisadero, which is not far from the family house. So I would just like take a certain route and always just, you know, stop real quick. Pay my respects real quick. What what would go through your mind when you saw the house? Just just memories, just, you know, thinking about when I was in there and what what it's like. I always just try to like visualize exactly what everything looked like, you know. Think about if I could go back in there and restore it to exactly how it was and how I remembered it. I've read that you said that making this movie was like therapeutic and like a healing experience. What mm-hmm. what about it was therapeutic for you? I think just working through some of the resentments I've had from my childhood towards, you know, family or just things that I maybe didn't work through. You know what I mean? You try not to hold, I try not to hold grudges. I'm also a Scorpio, so that's hella hard. Me but, too. Uh, <laughs> I understand. I understand. But... You got to work through them eventually. You, you, you try, I and mean, it's like, you know, there's, it's like I had resentments toward my dad for a long time, but it's like, he, you know, I worked through that. I'm, I have a great relationship with my dad, and he did a lot for me. Like, you usually think about black men not having a father or something or not, you know what I mean, being raised by a single mother. I mean, at mm-hmm. least in the media or just, I mean, in general in America, it's like that's what they always think about. But I wasn't, I wasn't raised by, I was with a single father. He's a role model in a lot of ways, but, you know, it's he had a disease, you know what I mean, with substance mm-hmm. abuse. That's a disease that gets a lot of people. So I can't fault him for being a victim of that. Hmm. He tried his best. And he did He did pretty okay, I think. Shit, I think I'm all right. <laughs> <laughs> Seems so, to be doing pretty good. Yeah. In the movie, Jimmy's bond with his father is just one of the many tender, complicated relationships he has with other Black men. Turns out, Jimmy isn't the last Black man in San Francisco. Throughout the film, he is loved, supported, hurt, and questioned by lots of other Black men who are getting by just like him. More on San Francisco's last Black men and how they'll shape the future of the city after the break. Saga. 
Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Something I wasn't expecting to see in The Last Black Man in San Francisco was so many different shades of black male relationships. Mm. You know, Jimmy's got his dad, but he's also got, you know, play grandfather, different dudes from his neighborhood, and he has, you know, a BFF. He's got a best friend. You know, actually, a lot of my favorite moments in the film were between Jimmy and his best friend, who's named Mont. Mm-hmm. Mont is kind of this, like, artsy, you know, like, really kind-hearted, kind of like oddball. He's just kind of, like, out there. <laughs> and he, like, spends his free time writing plays and doing these, like, very eerily spot-on impressions of the people around him. And when Jimmy tells Mont what he plans to do with his family home— Mont is right by his friend's side. You know, he's just, like, pushing him to dream big. What if it's empty? What if we just peeked inside? We could throw parties. You could put on one of your plays. We could yell. It made me realize watching that that there aren't as many films as there should be that spend that much time and energy on a central deeply loving friendship between adult black men. Mm. Like, you know, there's always like, you know, there there are movies that do that do have black male friendships in them. But like, there's like a lot of tropes. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? There's like, you know, the, you got the jock friend who dies, which happens in Cooley High and Boys in the Hood. You have, you know, the two friends starting a business together or a drug enterprise together or they start a singing group. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, somebody gets money and they get crazy. And like, we've all seen that movie a thousand times, Paid in Full, it's one yeah. of my favorites. But you... They don't have any in this movie. I I wonder, like, why was it so important to show, like, the mundane, everyday intimacies of black male friendship in this film? I mean, we just wanted to make it come across that we just had each other. You know what I mean? Like, that. I feel like the simpler, the better, you know, if you got to show that the mundane, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like you don't need to be doing anything crazy to know that we're, we're, we're best friends, you know, sort of mm. thing, and that, and that we got each other. It's like, I get on the skateboard, he jumped right on the skateboard with me, and we got each other, basically. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it's the little stuff like that, you know, like, oh, hold my board for me while I go. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I had mm. never seen that one before. I've seen riding mm. handlebars. I had never seen two adult people ride on a skateboard together. Yeah, I mean... Not gonna lie, I didn't know how we was gonna make that shit happen. We did. <laughs> it was we had to. It was hard, but you know, yeah. <laughs> Jimmy and Mont also hang out with this guy in their neighborhood named Kofi. And he's one of those guys who's like, like on the outside, he's kind of an asshole, but you, he can also be really sweet when you least expect it. And as much as Kofi loves to shit talk Jimmy and Mont, like even he's impressed that Jimmy had the nerve to take back his childhood home. How'd y'all get this? It's Jimmy's. His grandpa built it. He was the first black man in San Francisco. That's what they call him anyways. Oh, shit. This that house? Hmm. Hey, Jimmy used to talk about this spot all the time. But you know how niggas be in a group home, over-exaggerating and shit, trying to be all special. You know, we all know somebody like him. It's like you you wish somebody and they hella cool and then they get around the homies and they try yeah. to act all sick or something. Yeah. It's like, you know, <laughs> I, I, I see right through it. But still, even those people, it's like, you know, I still have empathy for them because I've been one of those people before too. You mm. know what I mean? Back in the day. 
but it's important to, to show that too because it's like especially for young black men they got to see like you don't need to be doing all that bro just be yourself mm-hmm. and that was that's what that was what, what was important too it's like even the you know the dudes that's hanging on the corner in the movie mm-hmm. they know we not with them on they same high we we you know we got different paths but we but we still live amongst each other and we still acknowledge each other and, mm-hmm. you know in san francisco it's like it's always like that in the projects i think it just was important to show the different dimensions of of black men and how we do got to hold each other down and be be more vulnerable with each other mm-hmm. it's like that's not that shouldn't mm-hmm. be weird that's not we just got to get rid of that toxic masculinity shit bro because the the cycle is never going to stop if that shit don't happen so the film i i told you I, you know though i see it primarily as a coming of age film there's also this whole backdrop of gentrification um you know which is unavoidable because the story is set in san francisco it's like one of the starkest i think examples yeah, of gentrification yeah, in america period and rapid violent gentrification not violent in terms of actual people physically being violent but just it's so fast it's like you could leave for a month and come back and it already seems more gentrified. It's crazy. Hmm. How do you personally define gentrification? The moving in of a different culture, the loss of the culture that was there hmm. and the, the moving in of, 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 I don't know what, it's not a culture, it's not even another culture. I don't even know what the fuck I would call that, whatever the fuck that is that these people are bringing over here. Um, <laughs> the, you know what I mean? The, Riding them fucking remote control skateboards and shit through this movie, like it's, yeah, they do that. <laughs> you know, too. it's like, and they, they just don't. They don't see you. The people that don't see you, that don't see the people that are in the city and that are from here, and that have fought for this city. It's like if you don't even see us, we're invisible to you. Mm. That's what makes me angry. We here too. Don't come here and then not see us. How the fuck are you gonna move in and not see us? We've been here and we're not fucking tech millionaires, but we still deserve to live here. It's interesting that you bring up tech millionaires because, um, like, in the film, gentrification to me felt like kind of like this amorphous force. You know, it's like sometimes it was personified. Like, sometimes I felt like there was a face to it. Like, um, Clint is like this greedy, you know, developer real estate guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of the tone deaf older white gentrifiers that that seemed like they were, you know, filling in the 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 Fillmore, you know, neighborhood mm-hmm. gentrification plan, you mm-hmm. know, and and um, you know, the acai bowl trucks. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> acai trucks, poke spots, that's mm-hmm. a sign of gentrification. Mm-hmm. Avocado toast. Um, I don't mind it cuz I like avocado toast, but that is a sign <laughs> of gentrification. You know, it, it, there's all these there's all these markers of gentrification in the movie, but but there's no like real explicit dialogue about gentrification in the movie. Like, yeah, because we weren't trying to be we're not trying to if we telling a story. We're not trying to shove gentrification down your throat. We already you know we went through several drafts of the script where it was like angrier and and actually talking about gentrification sort of thing. But it's like we could just tell the story and you know what I mean. Like we're not even trying mm. to be bickering with y'all we just want y'all to know where we coming from we're not trying to fight you know what i'm saying we mm-hmm. is we, we fighting for our city and what we're losing but we're not trying to fight in in that way and be like fuck techies and fucking you know what i mean it's like mm. the thing is i was like for me personally being a scorpio yeah. anger seems like the right <laughs> when, when, <laughs> what day what day is your i'm just kidding. Um, i'm november 15th or, well, okay what? i'm the 10th hell yeah okay okay i knew you know what november scorpios are stronger 
than October Scorpios? Absolutely, dude. Look at that. Look at us. Look at Drake. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, bro. I don't even, bro. Don't even give me. All right, yeah. <laughs> Come on, we got we got to finish the podcast. My bad. I'm, you already getting me riled up over here. <laughs> you know, you you mentioned that you like you're like you know there were angrier versions of the script, and you guys decided to just sort of play it straight and tell the story. And I guess I'm wondering is it's like why? I guess I, if I were in your sh- like if I were in the character Jimmy's shoes, I would be yeah, I got angrier. You. you know. I just think based off the values I'm taught as a San Franciscan and the people that I've learned from, it's just better to be more empathetic towards everyone. And then, you know, that's that's the only way you can make progress. Like, they're not going to listen to you if you're yelling at them. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm mm-hmm. not going to listen to nobody that's yelling at me. You better talk to me. I'm a grown- You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> you, you better watch that shit. But, you know what I'm saying? But they're not going to hear you unless you, you know, stick to the story and, and stick to explaining to them the feeling and yeah. how it feels. It's interesting. You said, you know, the values that you were taught. I thought you were going to say at home or by my family or whatever. You said the values that I was taught as a San Franciscan. Like, I, I'm from Michigan. I deeply identify as a Michigander. Mm-hmm. When I go to Michigan, it's like I just I just become liquid. Like, I'm just, I'm, yeah. I'm me. And I, but I still wouldn't, I don't know if I would necessarily say that I hold specific values as somebody from Michigan. You know, what, what does that mean, the values you were taught as a San Francisco? It's so rare that you hear somebody so strongly identify who they are and how they want to be in the world by where well, they're that's from. It's just, you know, it's like San Francisco is a place where it's like, it used to be, you know, you know, in the 60s and 70s, where people came that, you know, it was like there's this vibrant culture, art and musicians and poets, gays, you know what I mean? People that mm-hmm. weren't accepted in their own communities came here and then felt like they could be accepted and become a part of something. So it's like you go up around so many different walks of life that you 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 interact with so many people that you just, you enjoy those uh, interactions and you and you learn about people and it, it, it just, it helps form more empathy in you, which everyone needs, I feel like. It's, it's, it's very essential to to progress and change. Where does the anger go? Like, where does the anger go? What do you do with it? Well, shit, it comes out in a lot of places. On the basketball court, I get my shit out there because niggas know I'm, you know, I ain't playing. Uh, <laughs> I mean, but but also, I mean, I, I think it's, it's more in, in the art, too. It's like, you let the anger drive you to, you know what I mean? The anger is we didn't want to put the anger in the film, but the anger is what's driving us to wake up every day and want to get this movie made. Hmm. You know, we see Jimmy go on this journey on screen, thinking about home and, and growing up on screen. And it left me wondering where you are in your journey. Like, where do you live now? Uh, I still live in the city. You still live in San Francisco? hmm I really want to be able to stay here. This is where I feel most comfortable and with, you know, people I know and I love that are here. And staying in San Francisco takes quite a bit of money, you know. You're in this position now where it's like, you know, you're you've been able to stay in San Francisco, like in in barely. What's that? Well, (laughs) barely. But but even so, I'm wondering how does it feel to be able to afford to stay in San Francisco? Because it seems like I was watching the movie. It felt like Jimmy was somebody who felt like he didn't have a lot of options. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just got rent control. I mean, you know, I just I I got lucky. You know what I mean? You got a rent control place. Yeah, I just like, like my my friend was moving out. I got roommates and shit. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah, like yeah, it's yeah. not like you got to split the shit around. That's the only way it's it's affordable for me. You know. Well, what do you think it would take to push you out of San Francisco? 
Uh, man, it would have to just be the complete loss of everything that makes San Francisco what it is. You know, if all the natives are gone or if they keep taking all these places I grew up going to away from me, you know what I mean? Placing them with bullshit. Mm-hmm. Then I feel like, you know, I would just get fed up after a while and be like, no, this ain't, this don't feel like this for me no more. So like you, you really trying to hold on. Yeah, you know, hopefully I can have like a house that I can pass down because mm. I didn't get to have a house passed down to me, you know. So mm. I hope I can do that for for my kids. I want my kids to be from San Francisco. Hmm. So, it's you know, in a way, you think about the title of the film, like you really are one of the last black men in San Francisco, probably. Yeah, I'm one of them. I'm not the last, but I'm one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Jimmy, thank you so much for talking with me. Um, no, no problem. Thank you for talking with me. Oh, my gosh. My pleasure. The Last Black Man is out now in theaters nationwide. Last Black Man in San Francisco. Please go see that. Tell your mama. Tell her friends. <laughs> tell your friends. You know what I mean? Please. <laughs> oh, That's Jimmy, the thank you so, so much. That's the film like that spread. You know, thank you. No, thank you so much. The Nod is produced by me, Brittany Luce, with Eric Eddings and Kate Parkinson Morgan. Our senior producer is Sada Abdurrahman. This episode was edited by Sarah Saracen. Our show is mixed by Cedric Wilson. Our theme music is by Khalid B. For additional music credits, check the show notes. <laughs>